Welcome to Diversity Champions, the podcast where we talk to thought leaders in the field of equality, inclusion and diversity, individuals with protected characteristics and their representative organisations, and public sector leaders who champion diversity in their work and personal lives. It's brought to you by Yoke Recruitment, reshaping recruitment in the public sector and not-for-profit space. Get in touch with us via the details on our website, yokerecruitment.com. This week, we're joined by Leslie Babb, Head of Pay, Reward, Diversity and Inclusion at the Intellectual Property Office, and her colleague and collaborator, Nicola Smith, Inclusion and Cultural Diversity Advisor, also at IPO. We discuss the great work they're doing to positively affect the culture of their organisation from within, look at some of the networks they have established and their success stories so far, as well as hear their top tips for other organisations who may be starting their journey to address the DNI agenda. I really enjoyed chatting to both Leslie and Nicola, you're clearly very passionate about the work they do. And I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation too. Okay, so I'm here with uh, Leslie Babb and uh, Nicholas Smith from the Intellectual Property Office or IPO. Leslie is Head of Pay, Reward, Diversity and Inclusion and Nicola is Inclusion and Diversity Cultural Advisor. Leslie and Nicola, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So to kick us off, could you start by telling us a little bit about your organisation and your roles within it? Yeah, no problem at all. So we work for the Intellectual Property Office. We are a government agency of the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Based HQ is in Newport, South Wales, but we do have an office in um, London as well. But now that we've gone virtual, um, I think we probably got more of a workforce all over the country. So, uh, yeah, um, what our role is really, um, we are the main rights granting body for the UK on um, intellectual property rights. So that's, you know, inventions that uh, need a patent, uh, your logos or your brand that would have a trademark or mm -hmm. any sort of designs and we also look after copyright policy so lots going on in the sort of mu music and creative world there so we have that function but um, we also have a policy side which looks after intellectual property policy on a you know so then we work with global agencies on on that so quite a diverse portfolio sounds good and and your roles within the, within the IPO? Well, if, if I go first, then I'm um, head of pay and reward and diversity and inclusion, as you said earlier. And I'm I've worked in the civil service. I'm a career civil servant, so worked in the civil service for <coughs> twenty years. <laughs> uh, be my twenty first year this year, but um, yeah, sort of fell into the civil service. Really, uh, was only planning to be here for six months, and here I am, twenty one years later. But you know, it is, it is a great place to work, and I've um, had the opportunity to develop my skills and forged a career in HR. So I've always worked in HR or corporate roles. Um, may have been a pay and reward specialist for a number of those years, and sort of fell into diversity and inclusion. Um, I'm volunteered to take it on for my sins um, and you know sort of five years later <laughs> I'm still doing it so uh, yeah um, but you know it, it's it's really lovely varied role and and I get to you know the, 
the bit I enjoy is trying to sort of change the culture of the organisation to make sure it's fully inclusive for everybody. Fantastic. Nick, do you want to give a bit of a overview? bit of a background on me yeah um so I've been in the team a little under two years now um a little bit like Les really I'm really passionate about sort of cultural change and fairness and I got just a real passion for people I guess so it was a real natural move from my old role which was in continuous improvement uh, into working with Les so I mainly deal with the gender portfolio in the organization okay. um, particularly looking at the gender pay gap um, and ways that we can bring people together to um, reduce that have a real focus on intersectionality um, and really just doing what we can to make the organisation a brilliant place to work, which is sort of one of the pillars in our strategy um, about bringing everybody together in the IPO, you know, being respectful to each other and allowing people to bring their whole selves to work. Um, and a lot of what I do is really trying to uh, work with the culture and our people to try and change that. Fantastic. Thank you both. What would you say to date you are proudest of in terms of the achievements um that you've 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 had relating to diversity and inclusion so far oh should i kick that off um i think um having it as a key pillar in our um corporate strategy so we're quite unique in the ipo we haven't got a sort of separate people strategy mm -hmm. our corporate strategy one of the pillars is around our people and making it a brilliant place to work as nick said so i think you know our board are completely on board you know on board with the the dni agenda they see the the not just the moral argument but the business argument for having an inclusive workforce so um i suppose just sort of we knew we were okay but i think we were doing okay but we hadn't really measured um ourselves so we've done an, an awful lot of benchmarking initially and looking at the data and the evidence and actually using external benchmarks to see how we're progressing against other organizations really rather than just resting on our laurels so i think recognition of our fantastic sort of flexible working and and sort of um policies for carers and parents um really sort of has been demonstrated by us being in the top 10 for working families in the uk for the last few years so yeah i think you know getting that uh, recognition of we're doing the right things but also a platform for us to continuously improve so it gives us some areas for improvement so that we're not just sitting back and and not falling behind um nick is there anything else you want to sort of we've got a, a number of different things but i think it's just sort of getting the inclusion part of the conversation corporately now has been what I've really seen um, and those you know and facing some you know we've had some backlash mm -hmm. um, you know as you would expect sure. um, if people don't understand why you're you know if you if you're doing things for certain groups of people to try and level the playing field often there are groups that might feel a bit left behind or left out so really twisting that narrative yes diversity is important we want difference in our organization uh, we want our organization to reflect our customers and the uk um but also you know you can't have that without the inclusive um sort of culture that we're trying to 
well, just completely uh, embed and, and continuously improve. Understood. Yeah, it's been interesting to, to see how organisations um, over recent years, and, and, and it continues to happen, that they're changing the language um, that they use and, and we use around this, this agenda um, as 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 more understanding of uh, of, of it is, comes along. Um, and as you say, increasingly people are talking about inclusivity over and above diversity, um, but but clearly both are, uh, both are important. Um, and as you say, it's, it's vital that the, that exercise that you did in terms of looking internally and looking at yourself and and knowing where you're starting from is important before you can actually put anything in place, isn't it? Mm. And I think... Yeah. And Go on, Nick. Sorry. Sorry, Les. I think a lot of the things that make me proud, you know, as Les has said, we've got such great strategic leadership and, and strategic buy-in. Absolutely fantastic. But I, unsurprisingly, I guess, given what my passion is, but I get really proud of the people in our organisation and sort of their approach and their willing, willingness to want to change and want to make the organisation an amazing place to work. So um, one of our, well, actually our Women's Network Chair has just won the Welsh Women in STEM of the Year Award, which is massive because mm -hmm. um, for, for a little organisation that very much goes unnoticed, I think, I think often, um, we can forget, you know, that we do have incredible people working for us that are doing a lot to influence inside and outside the organisation. So, yeah, for me, it's it's the people. It's how people have sort of grabbed the bull by the horns and really looked at our recruitment practices, you know, and really wanted things to change and improve. So, yeah, for me, it's uh, it, it's sort of inward focused. Fantastic. And just sort of picking up on on that, um, we you know five years ago we we didn't really have any network groups. Mm. So you know we've gone from that to you know we've got a carers network, a, a women's and men's network, LGBT network, and and they're all thriving as well. You know, individuals and the groups are winning awards for best practice and sharing best practice, not just within our organisation, but the wider civil service and even the private sector as well. So, you know, we're not just as uh, internally focused, we're trying to make it better for everybody. And, you know, sort of, I'm a very much a believer in, um, you know, sort of don't start with a blank piece of paper. There's loads of good stuff going out there. And, you know, I think if we can share that, uh, we can help make all the organisations a better place. Gosh, that sounds like a bit of a Miss World's World Peace. <laughs> but it's it, you're absolutely right, and, and this is 100% why um, why we looked at um, establishing and running this podcast is because um, we know that there are lots of organisations out there like the IPO that are doing fantastic things, um, and, and we're keen um, both at Yoke to benefit from your experience and knowledge, but to share that um, share that with the with, with the wider community. Um, what do you see as as, as still being um, the biggest challenges or barriers to to increasing inclusivity and diversity um, in the workplace generally, and and and, and I suppose specifically at IPO? Um, oh, Nick, do you want to come into that? Okay, so I think that um, there will be challenges, but a lot of them actually, um, COVID and the forced sort of homeworking state will hopefully see some of those challenges um, helped a little bit. So uh, one of the things that is a real challenge for us is we've got quite a large workforce that, um, that are STEM 
and of course um, they're vastly underrepresented not just women but being disabled so trying to um, recruit a diverse workforce when such a large proportion of your organization is already um, challenging to recruit diversely into so um, being able to work from home I think really helps that because we're not just looking in our locality anymore we're not just looking in sort of Newport and and Bristol we can look all over the UK now and um, you know broadening diversity as far as the protected characteristics are concerned but also things like um, social mobility getting people from different backgrounds into the organization you know I think we probably face the same challenges that a lot of other organizations do in STEM um, and one of the things our gender pay gap action plan focuses on is obviously changing the makeup of the organization so there are more women in STEM but broadening the pipeline as well so we'll be doing some investment into um, STEM things to try and get more women in so we are trying to do lots for other organizations too not just our own so yeah lots of challenges but i think that the forced homework in our current environment has sort of helped in in some ways to make that a bit easier for in the future yeah there's, there's definitely been sorry it's definitely been echoed um with, with the number of organizations that, that we speak to um as as seeing this as a as one silver lining from from the very dark cloud that that is covid um in terms of um, being able to, or um, I suppose, being being forced in a way um, to to look beyond the locality um, of, of physical locations because of the fact that increasingly people are having to and and going forward anticipate will continue to work from home, um, and as you say that that in many ways opens up opportunities to um, to people from all sorts of backgrounds who wouldn't ordinarily have been able to or thought they could apply for roles with uh, with a particular organisation. Yeah, and I think Les and I make no secret of the fact that we would prefer to be in the office. We are the type of people that like bouncing off people in a room and having a chat, but actually having that flexible working is just so much better for so many more people than having to come in the office all the time. So, yeah, I think, um, like you said, there's definitely some silver linings to it. I think you've got to have the sort of culture to support that, though, mm. uh, as well. Um, you know, sort of your managers and your leaders need to start working from a position of trust. And actually, you know, presenteeism is a thing of the past that we, you know, you would hope. But it's quite a big transition to go from sort of being able to see what your people are doing on a day to day basis to them to be being remote. Um, and I think if you haven't got the sort of behaviours that underpin that, that's where it can come a bit unstuck. Um, I think we, we've been on a bit of a journey in terms of um, sort of setting out a framework for how we interact with each other. And that's really come into play during COVID. So, um, it's you know, it's not rocket science. It's, we framed it and called it the deal. And it's really about a set of principles about how we interact with each other on a, you know, sort of and, and work more effectively together and gives us permission to challenge each other respectfully, of course, mm -hmm. but you know, we want that challenge in the organisation, but we want it done in a respectful way. And actually, if, if those principles don't fit in with your ideals, then perhaps IPO is not the, the, you know, the, uh, the organisation for you. So, yeah, I think some of the societal 
issues that are going on. You know, Brexit's caused a bit of a societal uh, divide. Uh, and, you know, we, we're, we're seeing it in America as well. It's, uh, you know, it's it's really difficult. And I think, you know, there's, there's this, uh, you're either woke or you're not, um, you know, and I think we're just trying to sort of internally break down some of those um, assumptions and try mm -hmm. and sort of show that actually inclusion's for everybody. We've all got a protected characteristic. Um, we all have to work together. So it's not about, you know, the colour of your skin or your gender. Um, it's it's about you as a whole person. Um, so, yeah, very much had, an. Uh, I think, one of the pluses of COVID is actually the support function that we've got that underpins everything and actually caring about our staff well-being. So, you know, we've had a massive push on mental health support for our people. Um, and that's really sort of helped. Um, what, what's the word I would say? I think I think it's made people realise what a great place to work we are when that support isn't there when people really need it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, you, we I suppose touched on um, on it when we were talking just now about being able to open up opportunities in um, in areas that perhaps previously you weren't able to or. or um, or wouldn't automatically have thought to do so um, from home working. But I suppose, how do diversity and inclusion considerations specifically feed into the IPO's recruitment practice? We are governed by sort of civil service rules and, and things have to be sort of advertised openly and fairly and, and you know, and it has to be competitive, which you, mm -hmm. you would expect. But just making some small tweaks to things like language or... Uh, qualification requirements has, has actually seen things bear fruit. I don't know whether you want to talk a bit more specifically, Nick. Yeah, I think uh, some the, the yeah, some of the things under the um, Gender Pay Gap Action Plan are really to look at the way that we recruit. But of course, there's absolutely no point in looking at it through um, a gender lens. We do need to look into sectionality. Uh, intersectionality. So um, some of the things that we've done is sort of look at our branding and how we are branding ourselves as an inclusive employer. Um, have a little look at some of the wording on our job adverts. Do they sort of um, inadvertently discourage women from applying or inadvertently discourage disabled people from applying? Um, having a little think as well about, you know, where are we advertising our roles? We very often advertise on um, civil service jobs, but is that attracting the most diversity? And using external expertise, really, you know, we are very, very passionate about what we do and about getting diversity into the organisation and being an inclusive employer. But like Les said, there's so much knowledge and wealth of information out there that why not use people's expertise externally as well? So we've done that as well. We've worked with people like Quarateg. Um, who've helped us sort of reformat jobs and language and have a real think about the way that we sell ourselves as an employer and what outreach activities we undertake at universities. So um, there's loads and loads of inclusion in the way that we recruit and luckily we work really closely with our HR business partners who oversee all jobs too so job adverts get checked by them for inclusive language so we really are at the heart of making sure that 
the organisation does what it can to get as much diversity in as possible. Great, sounds like you're all over it. What's next on, on the action plan? Oh crikey, I think I touched a little bit on it a bit earlier on. Um, as far as gender pay gap is concerned, it's about trying to spot opportunities to generally help the economy with women in STEM. Um, that's a big ask, I, I guess, because it's something that everybody in the UK, you know, all organisations, particularly civil service, should be investing into helping in that direction. Um, but it's just trying to find the right opportunities. There's so much to do. It's just trying to find the opportunities that you can um, that can be most fruit, I guess. Yeah, and it's not something that starts at starts at the IPO, is it? Is it or, no. or starts at a, at an organisation? It, it you know it needs needs to and and uh, and is in lots of cases starting um, starting with with um, in schools and colleges and uh, yes. much earlier on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've, we've got an overarching diversity and inclusion plan, which covers a variety of things. So like Nick said, outreach is really important for us. So we want to engage with local community groups to show that actually the IPO, you know, it's we've got a grand grand name, Intellectual Property Office, it might not always, you know, be a, people might think, what on earth is that about? But actually, you know, someone you know in the street might not might think oh gosh you know I don't want to work there it sounds very grand but actually if they found out what we actually did we actually do they they you know they might be thinking yes I've got the skills um you know and I can see people like me working there yeah so um you know I think that's that's a big thing um you know historically the civil service hasn't had the best brand in terms of being inclusive and it's something that they've been you know we all been working on across the civil service um but i think we've got a real opportunity to show us as a modern flexible employer that really invests in its people so you know we, we've got gold in our investors and in people um and it's not about the badges but actually that's just reinforcing um and helping us you know with our continuous improvement to, to keep going from better to best really yeah it does two things though the, the badges isn't it? It, it it as you say it for it it forces you to look internally, um, look at your practices, improve them where necessary. But also in terms of visibility, um, it, it, it shows to the outside world that you are doing the things that you're doing um, and gives them the confidence that they're joining uh, an organisation that's that's on the right path. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we've, you know, we found from when we were doing sort of recruitment fairs face to face, just having people there in sort of rainbow lanyards talking about what we're doing and seeing the various network groups. You know, I, I one person that I know um, made the decision, they had the choice between two different jobs and chose us because they knew that there was a th thriving LGBT network and they felt that they could immediately be themselves. So, you know, it, it sounds a bit twee, but actually those visible symbols mean an awful lot to people. It's really, it's really heartening to hear to hear a success story like that, where you know it's it's one person, but for that one person, it's so so important. Absolutely, fantastic. That that warms the cockles of my heart when oh, they told uh, me yeah, that because yeah, it me just both. makes you realise, you know, that we're doing the right things and people can start a role feeling safe. Yeah.
And and it is one person, but this is one person that you've heard about, and, and yes. I'm sure there's lots of exactly. other stories where where they haven't flagged it up, but that's that's been very much the driver. Mm-hmm. So, um, we talked earlier about sharing best practice and and, uh, and you picking up um, knowledge elsewhere. What would be your top tips for other organisations, uh, perhaps smaller employers that are starting their diversity and inclusion journey? Um, don't be overwhelmed. I think when I sort of took on the the role it was you know we were I think we were in a state of we were doing some good things but it was a bit of a scattergun approach and actually what we needed to do is we realized we couldn't build Rome in a day um, actually focus on some key areas key priorities and do those well and then that ripple effect happened so we started with an evidence base we looked at the data we had and where we were going to make some meaningful actions um, so I think that's the base, start your evidence and, and your data, because um, that sort of drive gives you the, the drivers for it. Um, get your buy-in from the top. That was a no-brainer for us, but, it you know, it was where some of the organisations may struggle with that. Um, so really sell the business case for it, really, and there's loads of evidence out there for that. Yeah. Um, then it's the power of people that really make a difference, as Nick said, you know, actually having those people talk about their own personal stories, bring them to life and actually involve them in the change is where you can make the difference. And don't be afraid to ask other people, you know, um, quite often, you know, I, I, we would, like Nick said, we go to sort of groups that we're members of and ask them for their expertise. But we'd also ask our, our other networks about what people have done in certain areas so that we could sort of well see what what would work in our organization as well because you know most things will work regard you know are scalable regardless of the size of your organization it's really you know just getting the people to start doing things is is half the battle and also i think it's about sort of just being honest with yourself about what problems the organization might have and like les said a lot of them might seem massive and and take a little while to sort but that's okay everybody's got to start somewhere haven't they and you know I've worked with um, organizations in the past and they've been really nervous about sort of giving me some of their diversity figures and I think to myself do you know what I I get it I understand why you don't want to share anything negative about the organization but unless you do that people are not going to be able to help you so um that's definitely one for me is find those sort of safe environments just to be honest about it so that you know you can come up with innovative ways and and fresh approaches to do things that's really really useful really useful thank you um nick Leslie, thank you so much for your time today um it's been uh, invaluable and, and, and really enjoyable for me um much appreciated thank you thank you thanks for listening to diversity champions from yoke recruitment you can find out more about the work our dedicated public sector and not-for-profit division does in supporting organizations across the uk to fulfill their recruitment needs at our website yokerecruitment.com if you'd like us to cover a particular topic or be involved as a guest on a future episode we'd love to hear from you